Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. All right. Hi, everybody. We have got the absolutely beautiful Jackie Morgan on today. And this is going to be a conversation that most of you would never, ever have heard from anybody. And so I really wanted to have Jackie here as our guest today to talk to. So Jackie works at and co-owner of Natural Grace, but she's a mortician and a funeral director. And uh, welcome to the program. How are you, Jack? Thank you for having me. I'm very, very well. How are you, Julie? Oh, fabulous, fabulous. So I just I, I couldn't wait to talk to you today because I know what beautiful work you guys do at Natural Grace. But I suppose the first thing I thought of was, can you explain to people what is a mortician and then how you even got into that role? Yeah, so in, in my role, a mortician is the person who is allocated to physically care for the deceased individual. So that could be attending to any wounds or hospital bits and pieces that get left behind, especially when someone dies in a hospital. So removing all of those safely and then washing and dressing, putting on makeup if necessary, giving them a shave. It's a gentleman and dressing them in whatever the family has requested them for to be dressed in or not dressed in for their vigil and or for their funeral for them to go to their either to be cremated or to their final resting place to be buried. Yeah. So, how, so how did you find yourself in that role? Was it was it something that you'd you'd always wanted to do or did you just stumble upon it? Like what happened? No, I've always been interested, even as a, a teenager, I've always been interested in in um, sort of, you know, that, that side of life. I'm sort of, a, I sometimes refer myself to as the most fair-headed goth <laughs> anyone could, <laughs> could come across. I've always had an interest in just the other side of life and, and the, the dying and death part of it. And I tried for a few years, many, many years ago, to get into the industry and just couldn't. And then to study in the industry when I was living in England, but that turned out not to to be and came home to Australia and tried again to get into the industry and had a, what we would call a conventional funeral director man talk to me and say, it is a pipe dream, forget about it, put it in a jar and put it up on the shelf. You're a mother, you're a woman, it will never happen. Yeah. So, so up until that point, really, it was normal for it to be men and it was not, not something that mothers did. Is that, is that what he was basically telling you? He was telling me that, that there was no way I would be able to, um, without directly saying anything to me, uh, but he was telling me that my role in life was different totally different and to work in the funeral industry was really not an option. Wow. Um, and, and it was a real, it's a real, it is, continues to be, not so much. It's slowly, slowly changing, but it's a very closed industry. Yeah. Like when I was looking to study in the industry, you can't study in the industry until you work in the industry. You can't mm-hmm. work in the industry until you've studied in the industry, particularly in my kind of role. Yeah. So it made it really, really hard. But then, you know, my world changed when I met Libby. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and when you then started that role, where did you learn the skills to actually look after somebody that's dead, your people? How did you, yeah, how did you figure yeah. that out? I call everybody who comes to, into our care the deceased people guests 
the guests, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, they're my guests. You know, I care for them, I talk to them, I get them ready for their family. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this role is because I wanted to ensure that the person who cares for them as one of the last people who cares for them, that that care is done properly and with great dignity and yeah. respect. And it is a sacred space. And I just wanted to make sure that those people were cared for right, irrespective yeah. of what kind of person they were in life, mm. but in their death that they are treated with utter dignity and respect. I absolutely love that. Mm. Because, you know, mm. I mean, 10 or 20 years ago, you know, people, what funeral directors and car salesmen were in sort of the same boat but now you look at a lot of the funeral services and and they're they're so different they've changed so how how long have you been in the industry a decade a decade and so what when you look and i'm not talking about natural growth because i know how fabulous that is but when you look outside of that at the the rest of the industry have you noticed a change in the last 10 years i didn't have a lot to do with the industry beforehand so i couldn't give a black and white answer about that One thing I didn't do beforehand was your answer about when my training was done. I was mentored by a beautiful funeral company that took me under their wing. And then a lot of the stuff from there I sort of made up myself going along the way because we don't use chemicals. Yeah. Um, We don't use any harsh chemicals or anything like that. So, yeah. So there's certainly no embalming or anything like that done at Natural Grace. So so why would would some funeral directors recommend embalming when it's not really, mostly when I'd say it's not really needed, but what's what's your opinion on that? Yeah. Under some circumstances, embalming is absolutely imperative. Yeah. Especially when your person's being transported internationally or, or by air domestically and if a person has become deceased and their family or the situation of the family is such that they need time the living people really need time to come to grips with what's happened then we would suggest embalming but it's really really rare like I've I've been in the industry for 10 years and um, we have cared for two embalmed people in that time, quite specific circumstances yep. and absolutely necessary. But other than that, I think the industry, they like, uh, I suppose also if someone's going to be placed into a mausoleum, yep. they need to be embalmed. And I think sometimes funeral directors will broad brush that they tell families a bit of a furphy about that, you know, it's sanitary and safe for their person. Maybe they want to make extra money from that family, from the the, the sale, I say, yeah, as I'm waving yeah. my fingers in the air. I think for some families to not see their person dead, for me personally, I think that sends really mixed messages to walk in and see your person so perfect I don't know how that helps people's grief. Yeah. Yeah, not being able to see that their person is no longer a living, breathing soul. Yes, their colour has changed from their life colour. There, there is no circulatory system. Mm-hmm. The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Empowerment through conversation, connection through understanding. This is the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. When you're spending time with your guests and the families, 
what sort of impact does coming in and seeing their their person, you know, looking dead but normal, if you like, what sort of effects does it have on people? Like, I suppose it's just I know you've had so much experience with it. So what are the sort of responses that you get when people come in and see their person? Um, again, broad brush statements. They're beautiful. Yep. Yep. They look peaceful. They just look like they're asleep. I'm so grateful that I, I'm not seeing them in pain anymore. Yep. You know, all, all those, oh, they're at rest statements. Quite often, because that family or individual or a few individuals have been caring for that person right up until death, they're exhausted, yeah. they're emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually done. Mm. And I think to sometimes have that break, have a couple of days of getting some nourishment in, in your body and in your soul um, and having some good long showers and sleeping yeah. yep. and then coming and seeing your person, it's like, okay, they're, they're, they're okay, they're okay and, and they look at peace and... That, I think, can help the person who's cared for them to know that they've done the right thing, that they feel good, Yeah, that they've cared for their person right to the point where they couldn't care for them anymore. Yep. And that's I think right. that's really important for relationships for, for, and to come back and see your person, to draw that line in the sand. Mm. It's okay. I can grieve. Yeah. And I'm in a good place to, to grieve. I had a really good example. A few months ago, a family member died. The family member stayed at home. The community and immediate family cared for that person. They stayed at home for a few days and then they took them directly from home to the cemetery. And it was amazing and magnificent and beautiful. A few months down the track, one or two of those family members have gone to see a counsellor or a psychologist and, and or a psychologist and their issue is that they don't feel like they're grieving. Mm. They're not sad. They're not devastated. They're not blindsided. They're not, you know, and, 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 and for my role, amazingly, to be able to have the opportunity to not talk to them but sort of their next layer of the yeah. they're like, I, I I'm not grieving. I'm not crying. It's like, well, you did everything you could. Mm. You've got, uh, do you have any regrets? No. Did you do everything you wanted to do to care for your person? Yes. Did you feel at peace? Yes. Mm. Your grief is in a really good place. That's okay. That's okay. Because somewhere in your soul, you know now when your time comes, that's how you're going to be cared for and what Mm. a gift Beautiful. Oh, absolutely, Jackie. God, that's fucking feel, feel that. I totally yeah, get that. What a gift. Oh, it absolutely is. It, that's, it's so beautiful to think that you can actually, you know, keep people. And I don't know if it, it's in all states in Australia, but, you know, certainly be able to keep people at home and go from home straight to, to cremation or burial. I mean, that just sounds yeah. beautiful to me. So yeah. can, I ask, can I ask you another question about how many out of the people that come to you, do the families actually want to be involved in the preparation of their person? And 
how does that happen and what can they do? So if they, if they are people that want to be there while you're yep. working, working with them, what can they do and how can you involve them in that? Yeah, so we, we have visual rooms within our, we call our workplace, our sanctuaries, and uh, we actively invite and advocate for families to come in to do the ritual wash of their person. So if there's any sort of technical work that needs to be done, so suturing or bandages or um, anything like that, or if they're particularly dirty for, for whatever reason, we will talk to the family first saying, do you give permission for me as the mortician to, to attend to those items first? And then from there, we will take them into the vigil room once we get into the vigil room, then from there we have warm water, goat's milk, soap, face washes, more face washes that are, are needed. And it becomes this lovely ritual of there's usually two, sometimes there's one, but usually two. And I just wet the face washes and fold them and, and hand them over. It becomes very ritualistic about I am I am not here to take over. I'm here to facilitate. This is your person. This is your relationship with your person. This is you still caring for them. I'm holding you while you still hold them. Mm. Um, so they take the face washer and we'll just gently wash and it becomes so beautiful. And for some people, the physical act of caring for them is enough. Some, of, some people it's very spiritual. Mm. It just depends on what kind of, you know, we're all individual and mm. um, we all have individual needs um, and it's making sure that those people's needs, the living people's needs are, be, are being met. Um, well, of course, their the guest is safe and they'll do the washing and the dressing and then they might brush their hair. Um, we've had families come in and they've agreed to just sit in the lounge room. They don't want to go any further and then they'll sort of, come and stand in an area where they can see the doorway but they can't go in. They'll just sort of look and watch and then they'll come a bit further and a bit, and it's just spending time in that space mm. and waiting for them to know that they're safe, that they'll be cared for. And then it, it's a huge leap of trust yeah. that we take on, that, that we somehow in a really short space of time earn their trust enough um, that they they feel safe that they can come in. So we've had you know mothers and children come in saying I don't want anything I don't want to see I just want to be in the same space to the point where they've come in and they've brushed their person's hair mm. and that's all that they needed. But it gives them it gives people overall again and again and again such a sense of peace. Yeah, that's beautiful. So really, so you, the, what you do, and I would imagine with absolute great skill, is just allow your people the time to heal and do what's right for them and, and, not, and mm. I can't imagine you even, there'd be no pushiness in you. It would be just whatever you need, whatever you want, and that gentle support without pushing them in any direction. Would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's not our journey. We're uh, there to walk alongside them. Mm. And, well, I can only speak really for me. I will happily walk alongside someone as far as they want to go. Yep. Yeah. And when they say that's yeah. it, that's absolutely fine. That's it. Do you live remotely or regionally? Do you feel isolated and confused about the way forward when thinking about what next? Maybe you've had a recent diagnosis or you're entering the final stage of your life. 
Today's technology means we can help you wherever you live. So reach out now to doulaconnections.com.au. So, Jack, would you have many people that would maybe come back a day or two later and say, I've I've changed my mind, I want to come in and see my person and spend time with them now? Or do you find um, most people might only come once and then not come back again? What what sort of differences are there? Yeah, sometimes only seeing their person once is enough. That, mm-hmm. That's okay. And, and seeing them dressed and, and ready. Or they might come in and they might bring the clothes in thinking that they would like to dress their person. And seeing their person, they might have stayed with them until the point of death and then they've done a bit of a wash in hospital or the hospice or home or wherever they are. And then they, they think that they'll come and do the vigil and dress their person and and then have the funeral after that and they'll get to the vigil day and they'll say, I love the way they look. I don't want to change them at all. I love the way they look. They're too cold for me to touch them. Mm-hmm. I love the way they look, but I don't, I don't want the experience of the memory of yeah. having to do that clunky job of, because of, it is respectfully sometimes really clunky. Trying I imagine to it would be, yeah. A deceased person. Mm. And it, it's about we, we as in communicating until you sort of tell them, of course you can do this. Yes, I'll support you. This is the reality. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I mm. quite often say to people if they're sort of looking at me with, you know, big, big eyes, eyes. Yeah. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I just want you to be aware that this is part of the reality. If you walk this part of the path, this is the reality, part Mm. of your memory. Yeah. And and have a think. If you want to walk it, absolutely, but have a think. Do you want that memory? Or we've had um, some instances where the person's spouse has died and they have needed to see their spouse every day at 4 o'clock for their cup of tea. Wow, yeah. And so we make it happen. And mm. they come in. They'll come in for three or four days and, and up until up until the funeral or until they go, I don't need to have that. I'm day. right now, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so just, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, they just need to meet people where, where they're at. Yep. So they don't have regrets. Yeah. I love it. So, Jack, what about the after-death care with children? So... Like, do you have many children that come in for vigil or yep. and, how, and, how, and how does that work? Like, is that, is that the, the parents just, just say, oh, you're coming or do the children just show interest or what's the difference with it? I'm just interested in, the, in different kids, their ages, how they react, yeah. you know, and how they yeah. get in there in the first place, really. Time and time and time again, kids are the absolute rock stars when it comes to vigils. They don't have any previous emotional or mental scarring. Mm -hmm. They're curious. They're young enough that they go, okay, this is the reality. Go on with it. Sometimes it it depends on the child, depends on the age of the child. We advocate for speaking to any child prior to them going into seeing their person age-appropriate. Mm-hmm. But quite often, you know, we, we might say things to them, like if they'd lost their grandparent, we'll say, look, when you go in and see grandpa, he's really cold. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, hasn't got warm hands anymore because he hasn't been working out in the garden. I'll go, oh, yeah, okay. 
and he won't smile when you tickle him. Mm. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, <laughs> you know? is it? But tell him everything that's going on in your head. Tell mm. him what you've been doing. You know, he can hear you. He just can't respond. And they get in there and they check that, you know, grandpa's okay and he's got his shirt on right and that his beard is just so, and they'll bring in pictures or they'll sit down and do a picture and then they'll bring it in to grandpa or their mum or their dad or they'll come in and they'll play music. Kids are wonderful and we'll often Mm. have parents or grandparents say, we're going to leave the children at home. Why are you leaving the children at home? Because we don't want them to have that memory. This is you, you're being Mm. an elder. You're setting the standard now. This is how we care for our people. Mm. I can assure you that if the children don't want to go into the room, they'll stay in the lounge area where we've got a child area set up. But if they want to go in, but I assure you, they'll be okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, they they are. Kids are ace. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's different. And, you know, like I've had conversations with, with my grandmother when she was still alive and even my mum, you know, where they used to say that it was quite normal for people to be at home after they'd died and people to yeah. come and go from the house and children to be around. And it was just, diff- sounds very different to to what yeah. what evolved, you know, in the last 50 years somehow. Into, in a really quick amount of time. Yeah, yeah taking yeah. it out of the community's hands in some way and putting it back into, into a different model that everybody's just accepted as the way it is, but I don't accept mm-hmm. that at all. And that's why I want to have these conversations because mm-hmm. I think people mm-hmm. need to know that there's so many other things that they could be yeah. doing. We're not trying to recreate the wheel. No. We're just bringing back practices that, that were there for, for eons. I had a lovely conversation a very long time ago with a, a lovely old lady and we sat and giggled our way through the afternoon um, doing her arrangement and we got to the end of it and she said, oh, that wasn't as traumatic as I thought it was going to be. And I said, well, what were you expecting? She said, oh, I don't know. Everything's, you know, it's so serious and droll and, you know, flowers. I said, oh, no, I'm not worried about anything like that. I said, you know, you've told me what you want. You've told me what bits you're happy for the family to organise and and we will go from there. And I said, well, what was it like when you were growing up? What happened? Yep. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, what happened when someone died in the village? And she said, oh, that was easy. You went and got the postmistress and you went and got the smithy's wife and they came and did the prep. Mm -hmm. And then the postmaster and the lumberjack gentleman, I've forgotten his name, the carpenter, he would show up. (laughs) Yeah. He would show up and they would take the measurements and then they'd go away and they'd make a coffin overnight and everyone had come over and you'd have more food than you know what to do with. And Mm. she said it was lovely. I said, well, what have we just done for you? And she went, oh, we've just organised that. There you go. Yeah, so she'd recreated her her memory of how it was when it felt right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about how you'd like to spend the last few days and hours of your life? or how you'd like to acknowledge loved ones or your own life and death, we can help you to create an experience that's as individual as you are. Let us help. DoulaConnections.com.au So when you, I suppose when you're with your people and I know that you talk to people and, you know, you talk to your guests and just like if they were alive, what sense do you get about that? Do you... 
do you honestly feel that they that in some way they can hit they they can hear you or or do you do you just do it or is some people you feel like there's more connection with than others even though they're dead like what I'm yeah. just experience your experience your personal yeah. experience sometimes I feel their energy is more there than than with others. Um, sometimes I get a real sense of exhaustion from my guest, especially if their 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 journey to their death has been really long. A couple of instant deaths where there's been a bad accident, you can almost feel them sort of going, "Whoa, where am I? What's going on?" Mm-hmm. Personally, with my belief system, irrespective of whether I feel their energy or not, I talk to them out of respect. Yep. Out of just, you know, maybe I'm trying to see if they're going to talk back to me. <laughs> they're going to talk back to me, I'll take them home. <laughs> Absolutely. Have a, few rules, have a few rules in my mortuary. That's one of them. You if talk they back talk to me, back, you take you home. <laughs> I think that's a good rule, actually. I like that rule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, a, again, a, an overarching statement. There's a huge difference to walking into a space where a person has just died to walking into that space about three, four days later, especially if they're staying at the home. The mm. spirit is, is definitely, definitely in the room. Wow. At the, yeah. at the, the time of death and not long after. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. So, Jack, do you love your job? Like I just look at you and you just glow with, oh, I don't know, gratitude or something. I'm just trying to think what the word is. But So t- tell me about, about you and your job. Like what, how does it make you feel every day? Some days it's incredibly tiring, Julie. Some days you go home and just cry or you just go home and stand under the shower for, you know, five minutes and other days every day sorry every day I am eternally grateful that I get to do this work I never ever feel like I'm going to work so I've just come back from a short break and today's my first day back and it's just like walking into a different room in Mm. in my house I love it I will never do anything else now and I'm so grateful and honoured and do not take my role lightly. Mm, I could say that, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So if there, if there are other, and I know that I've had many people over the years as, when I was nursing express to me that they would like to have worked in the funeral industry and most of them, like you, would have been mothers, you know, um, and some of them may be even older nurses. But certainly mm. I think there is interest, but for some reason, like how, if somebody really wanted to be a mortician or be a funeral director, how yeah. would they actually even get into that? Like how, how do they find the skills and the opportunity? It's a really good question, Julie. Look, most of us um, at Natural Grace have got a hospitality background. Mm -hmm. So hospitality and or nursing. So making sure that you know that you can work with all different personalities all across the the wide scale of humans um, that we come across. Um, I would try and get a job as a funeral director assistant, get in that way, see, see how it works within the, the funeral industry and, and, and all funeral homes are different. Mm-hmm. 
there, there is that wide variety. So people have choice when it comes to what kind of company they would like to work for. But starting as an, an assistant, get your foot in the door that way and then you know start trying to work your way to the, the mortuary side of it. Um, start helping out, you know, going ab- above and beyond. Some people sometimes, they're, they're quite crude with their, their role, I find, these days, you know, oh, that's above my pay scale, I don't do that kind of work, or that's beyond my, my pay packet, so I'm not going to help out. Well, I kind of beg to differ, you know, put mm. your hand up, put, put your hand up, start volunteering, start getting experience, start, you know, what, whatever you can do because you've got to earn the trust and respect of those around you yeah sometimes with families you know they might do a home-based death care for their their person or that they might come in and do that ritual wash and, and get their person ready and a couple of times the family members have walked out usually only one of them and they'll go i could do this as a job and i'm like it's much different preparing your person yeah. to preparing somebody else effectively strangers yeah again and again and again and then you've got to walk in and and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually cope with that family Mm. and it's the equivalent of organizing a wedding but Mm. it has to be done in in usually a week week and a half no one wants to be there Mm. the whole lot (laughs) of emotion yeah and people can behave pretty badly prior to the funeral day. Mm. Everyone pulls up their socks on the funeral day. (laughs) Everybody pulls up their socks, yeah. But Mm. um, it's, yeah, try and get BNFDA um, Mm. and and start start that way. So one final question. If if you could recreate the current funeral and home death care in Australia, if you could recreate a whole new model for us now, what would it look like? It would look like Natural Grace's model. Mm. Over and over and over and over again where family presented consistently with choice, information, good, clear information. So the families and and those who are dying who want to organise their their death care before they they do die, that they're making good, well-informed decisions Mm. so that they do get out the other side of having that funeral for their person and they're not sitting at the dining room table in two weeks, two months, two years going, I wish we'd known about. Mm. If we had had enough time, we could have organised mm. and that would have made the send-off yeah. impeccable for that person mm. to be able to truly individually cater for each person and their send-off. Yep. Yeah. That, that oh. would be awesome. Yeah. Well, that's my dream too. So let's just keep all working on it together. And uh, thank yeah. you so much for this conversation today. I've absolutely loved oh. talking to you about you and your role. And you're such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And thank you. Now, if anybody would like to find out a little bit more about Natural Grace, that's www.naturalgrace.com.au. And is there any particular resources you could point people to about natural death care? or anything at all you think people might be interested in? Yeah, look, we've got things to read on our, on our website and Natural Grace's website. 
There's also the NDAN website. Another really good one, but it's international, is Ask a Mortician. That's a mm. really, you know, that's a good font of, of knowledge. It's American, but it, she talks a lot about natural death care and, um, and how to, to care for it. And there's some really good films out there too. you just got to dig around a little bit. Right. But yeah, start, just start reading, just start talking, start talking, start finding out. And if you put it out into the universe, mm. things will start coming your way. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, Jackie. I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, Thank you, Julie. Yeah. See you later. Bye. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 